This is the Sea to Sky podcast. There's another edition of People in Your Neighborhood. I am Marcus. I'm senior talking with uh, Mr. Doug Monroe, who is uh, the provincial coordinator for Cave Rescue in uh, BC and, of course, uh, Alberta as well. Right? Yep. Yeah, that's right. And so the reason why it's sort of pointed to talk to you now is because of what happened in Thailand, where he had a great soccer coach take his team into some cave exploring and got, well, lost for about nine days. Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't know if he was lost. He probably went exactly where he wanted to go, but didn't figure on the cave filling full of water while he was in there. I mean, it's a slight problem. I, I would assume that he would no longer be responsible for children at this point. But um, it was just just leads the question about what can happen here in British Columbia. Is there a lot like crazy caves here, or is there lot, is there a big cave exploration society here? Is there a lifestyle of diving into caves? I mean, you're you're part of a cave rescue organization, so I'm assuming perhaps there's a need for that. Oh or- yeah. There are over a thousand known caves in BC. Canada's longest um, is just on the Alberta-BC border, and uh, Canada's deepest is in BC. And most of those caves are concentrated on Vancouver Island, uh, but the geology for caves is really good throughout BC, so there's a thousand known and probably many, many more that are yet to be discovered. Do we have stories of people getting lost all the time, or is there is there certain precautions one must take not to get lost? Uh, well, I mean, lost isn't really the issue a lot of the time. Uh, we do have uh, an active caving community in the province, and there are incidents where we get called to respond to people who uh, are injured, typically, or sometimes overdue. It's quite infrequent. We get about three calls a year, uh, which compared to Squamish Search and Rescue, you know, a thousand calls a year, that's pretty low volume. But we do uh, spend quite a bit of time trying to promote safe caving in the caving community in BC so that people can look after themselves when bad things happen and don't need to call us. What do you need to do then? If you look at the story of like, say, Hansel and Gretel, they kind of left breadcrumbs and, you know, they sort of leave trails behind them. We can't really do that in caves, can you? No, I mean, uh, not so great from a conservation standpoint. The number one thing we tell people, if you want to go caving, join a caving club. You'll meet up with some from cool people. They're cavers, so by definition, they're weird. But you'll meet some cool people, you'll learn a lot of the, the tips and tricks of what to bring and where to go so that you're ready if something goes wrong. I mean, the situation in Thailand, that team is alive because of the preparation they had, minimal though it may have been, and the choices they made. They brought some extra food in there. They're a lot happier now than they would have been had they had no food. Right. And when the cave was flooding, they moved to the highest point in the cave and sheltered in place. Okay. It's the right thing to do in those circumstances. That is the thing that is going to promote your odds of survival in a flooding situation. Well, food and water. I mean, those are the two things when you get stuck. Food, so. water. We tell people to bring three sources of light. Always travel in a group, ideally three. Always have a first aid kit. Always have a heat source. If you're in BC, the average temperature in a cave is about four degrees Celsius. So it's like being in a fridge. Nice. And you hang out in there for nine days. Uh, That's chilly. Yeah, not going to be too fun. Thailand eh, is a little warmer. <laughs> but I bet you those uh, those boys are pretty chilly right now. So I guess when they say it's a cave rescue that you would assume that these people know these things and so they would climb to the highest point of a cave so you go digging in there? Is that what happened in Thailand? They sort of knew to start at the top? or No, you, you don't really assume anything. And the thing about you know digging, you're talking about solid bedrock. So if you want to open new passage, it's explosives. And when somebody's trapped in the cave, explosives you use with caution. Usually we take uh, existing passage. And uh, as I said, often what we get is either a notification of somebody's in the cave and they're injured and they're unable to get out under their own power and we have to go in and put them in the stretcher and carry them out. Or we get somebody on the surface calling and saying, hey, 
my friend was going caving. They're not out yet. Can you go check and see what's going on? And nine times out of ten, that's just a case of they, they got delayed for whatever reason and everything's fine. But there's always that one case where actually they were injured and uh, they were unable to get out and call for help. So the difference between caving and getting stuck in the mine, is it very similar or they're cave-ins? Like, is there, is these typical things? Like, so say someone's in a mine and it collapses, like you see in the movies and they're trapped in forever. Or is it <laughs> well, very, everything you see in the movies is, very, is wrong. I mean, I, know, I hate to do this to you. Well, Marcus, exactly. But. Well, I mean, the movies are never, it's always about, uh, obviously it's, it's about the, the drama of it. Right. That's but, right. Uh, I mean, there was a last movie that came out, I think it was called 42, about 42 miners in South America stuck under there. Right. In the, in the Chilean case. Yeah. Well, so the first thing to know is that it if you're in a mine, you're in a man-made underground structure, and it's a whole other kettle of fish. You have a very different set of hazards about stability, about air quality, and that's not our problem. If somebody's trapped in a mine, you get a professional mine rescue crew. And uh, what I tell folks here in Squamish is, if you need one, the nearest one is several hours away. Right. So if it's a bad air kind of situation, there's no rush. But for caves, it's a naturally occurring passage generally speaking they're fairly solid stability isn't an issue although there are exceptions to that so the major hazards are just that it's cold and it's dark so if you have a light failure which is why we recommend three sources of light then immediately you should just stop moving it's darker than outer space there's zero light and there's also a significant hazard of falling or having stuff fall on you if uh, you're repelling off of a pitch and there's loose rock at the top for example spurlunking yeah, you know, the bumper sticker in the States is that cavers rescue spurlunkers. And uh, we see that a lot. We see a lot of people now who will hit up Facebook and find the location of some cool caves. This is common uh, in Couch and Lakehead, a few instances, for example. And they'll just go checking it out. And they have no idea what they're doing. They'll be wearing a bike helmet and maybe bring one or two flashlights <laughs> for three or four people. And uh, they, they're, they're putting themselves at fairly significant risk doing that. And it's like anybody else in the backcountry. You'll see people hiking the chief in flip-flops. Most of the time it works out fine. They got lucky, but they think they're really skilled. Right. Uh, same thing with caving. You know, it's probably going to be fine. But uh, the message we really drive home to people is if something goes wrong, you need to be able to keep everybody alive at four degrees Celsius with whatever injuries they have until the cavalry shows up. And that's measured in hours. All right. So how many hours are we talking about? Like days or are we talking about 12 hours? In terms of call out time, really yeah. varies where you are in the cave. You know, if we get something about the most recent call we had, you know, I get the call at about two in the afternoon. It's probably 4.30 by the time our initial response team is on site. Figure it's an hour to get from the staging area to the entrance of the cave. If everybody's riding on ATVs, you know, maybe you're two hours travel into the cave and your accident was at I don't know, 10 o'clock this morning, you know, you, you can add up to 10, 12 hours really fast. Wow. Okay. I guess you're responding to calls also in Alberta, like all the way out that way. Yeah. We, uh, we're two different provincial organizations because that's how SAR is organized in Canada, but, okay. uh, the Alberta cave rescue organization and the BC cave rescue group, we were just coordinated. Um, we go back to uh, 1984 here in BC and Alberta goes back to 2001 and we just have same doctrine, same equipment loadout, common membership list. There's only 200 volunteers across both provinces. And oh, okay. if, if there's a major rescue, we're going to need a hell of a lot more than 200 volunteers. True enough. But I mean, if you're getting called out in Squamish, like how far out are you going if you're getting called here in Squamish? So I get uh, the initial call. Typically, most events, it's a fairly minor thing. So I'm mobilizing people within the immediate area. So uh, South Island, Central Island, maybe some folks in northern Vancouver Island for a call in the Nanaimo or Cowichan Lake area. 
Um, if it's a more involved cave, if we know people are 12 kilometers in, in uh, the island's longest cave, which is 13 kilometers long, then I'm just going to pass that call to my Alberta counterpart because he's too far away to do much about it. And he can start phoning and cranking the machine, mobilizing volunteers. And uh, I'll get in the van or if it's good flying weather and the province is uh, really keen, get on a plane and fly over right. there. That's what I'm saying. The resources, like it's like a helicopter waiting for you at the helipad, you know? No, it's, it's all, it's like any other SAR thing, right? Um, it depends on the circumstance, but we call the coordination center for emergency management BC. And uh, if it's good flying weather and it's a life safety issue, they can put small fixed wing aircraft or helicopters at our disposal. Right. And, uh, you know, we may be able to get priority access on BC ferries to move stuff around. If somebody's life is in line, BC takes this pretty seriously. All right. If I'm going caving, uh, I'm thinking if they have to or like activate you and I'm somewhere in Cowichan Lake, your travel time, find you in the cave. Yeah, you are going to be stuck there for a bit. You're going to be there a long time. Yeah. We, uh, we do a, a, a small workshop on a weekend where we get cavers to come and we open the workshop by having them sit down and just work out in their last caving trip. Do that math. How long is it going to take for somebody gets there? And they're into double digits really fast for a number of hours until initial response teams arrive with a small first aid kit and like a thermos right. of hot water, right? That's Whoa. that's the initial response. That's not the stretcher and the medic right. and everything else. Well, you have to get in there to see what you can do, right? Yeah. Um, we actually had a circumstance on Vancouver Island about two years ago where two people were trapped by flood water, much like in Thailand. And uh, they ended up being underground for 14 hours. And we could we couldn't even get to them. We, uh, we all just caught a lucky break. The floodwaters receded just long enough for them to get out under their own power. And um, then the rain started up and the water came up again. So it's not, well, it's not like nine days in Thailand just now, right? That's, that's no. still a long time. But, you know, for them to all sort of make it through, then they, they were definitely well prepared. So I must give more kudos to the soccer coach because I'm sure uh, he is um, he's being well panned. Yeah, around the world I wouldn't point. go as far as to say well prepared. The uh, <laughs> initial video we're seeing now released by the Thai Navy crew is, uh, you know, shorts and T-shirts and no helmets. These are spelunkers, make no mistake about it. But they might have had a couple of granola bars. They made the right decision when they uh, encountered the rising water. They went to a high point and... Uh, from what we can tell, anyway, nobody completely lost their minds and panicked. So those are all good things. But uh, I would not call these folks prepared cavers by any <laughs> means. But the fact that they all came out, I think, uh, you know, pretty much unscathed, just trapped nine days in a cave. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. They're not out yet. I thought they were rescued today. No, no. man. Cave rescue's always got four steps. Got to okay. locate the person, right? access the person, stabilize them, then transport them out. Okay. We are now at access. So they can they can get to those people, but that doesn't necessarily mean those people are stabilized medically and out of the cave yet. Oh, it could happen pretty quickly. Uh, it looks right now that it's um, it's dive teams that have accessed them, so they've swum upstream through heavy flowing muddy water in tiny constricted passages that are completely dark except for your flashlight. So kind of hairy. And they've made access, they've contacted them, they've shot some video and taken it out, which is good, but it's not totally clear how they're going to get them out yet. The most logical thing to do is to have them buddy breathe off of the right, uh, Navy the SEAL diver divers. Yeah. But that's only going to work if the passage all the way out is big enough to allow two people to swim side by side. Which now they have to go and measure all the way through. Well, you'd know because you got in there, right? If you right. had to take your tanks off your back 
and wiggle through and then pull the tank after you. Right. It's not, it's not really going to work. It's not going to work on the buddy right. breaking thing. Well, I just know if like the Navy SEAL tried to get me out of there, that no, he wouldn't fit. A uh, boys soccer team, I guess they, they would be able to wiggle through. They'd be more fit than me. Well, they're certainly, you know, age group wise, you've got young, fit people. They're they're pretty likely to be able to, to absorb bad environmental conditions or, uh, you know, lack of food or so forth. So there's that. They have that going for them. But this is uh, this is not over. The technical challenge now becomes getting supplies into them and stabilizing everybody to the point where they can be brought out of the cave. So bringing it back locally then, in Squamish, is there a big caving community here in Squamish? Or? It's not a huge in Squamish. There's a couple of us who are active in the BC community in town. Uh, Squamish geologically isn't great for caves. It's great for climbing, all that granite. Mm-hmm. But caves really like soluble rock, so limestone in particular. So the nearest caving here is down uh, Chilliwack Way or over on the island. Okay. You know, one nice thing about uh, being in Squamish is that there's also a fairly large climbing community and a fairly active rescue group. So there's some nice opportunities to get to know some folks and cross-train and see the differences between the techniques that we use underground and the techniques you use on the surface. Kind of similar between the two? They have used to be more similar. They're diverging a little bit now in the last sort of 10 years. Uh, it's quite common for me to show up at a surface rope rescue thing and whip out my caving gear and do some caving stuff and freak everybody else out because what I'm doing, they are taught, is extremely dangerous and should never be done. Right. And, of course, it's totally normal in the caving world. Mm-hmm. So if uh, if someone wants to get into caving now, um, apart from the, uh, the inherent dangers that we discussed, uh, what, what, should, what should be the first step? There's a number of caving clubs around the province. There is uh, the Chilliwack River Valley Cavers Club. Uh, there's also the Vancouver Island Cave Exploration Group. They and other clubs can be found by going on the Canadian Cave and Karst Info Server at cancaver, C-A-N-C-A-V-E-R dot C-A. The advice is the same as it has been for decades. Join your local club. Go meet some people, and uh, they'll be happy to bring you a caving, and that's the best way to get into the sport. Googling up a cave and uh, charging out and going and checking out yourself, uh, lots of people do. It's a higher risk kind of thing. I've already had a few call-outs from that this year, and I'm going on vacation. I could really appreciate not having another one. Is there is there a certification process as well? Like say like diving, there's there's several levels like PADI levels and there's SSI. There's a lot of organizations that give you certain uh, levels of training and licenses. Is it very similar for caving or caving? Not at all. Dry caving, you just join a club and you learn as you go. Uh, it's a fairly unstructured environment, a lot, lot like climbing in that sense, right? You don't get levels there are just grades of difficulty that you can climb caves don't even have grades of difficulty they're just there and Mm -hmm. uh, you you know by reputation if it's an easy cave or a challenging cave cave diving is a completely different beast and you do have people who get certified through groups like patty to do that uh there's quite an active cave diving community on vancouver island right now but you're still counting people in the dozens Right, right. In the caving world, you can people in the hundreds. Yeah, because I mean, it was, I became a dive master way back when, when I was uh, living abroad, and one of my one of my facets was cave diving. But it's not it's not the same as as a cave rescuing or caving. It's uh, so I'm just saying if there was uh, like a certain certification level it's to be a certain level caver, but it just seems like uh, just go and experience and um, stay safe. Yep, pretty much. Join a local club. Go have fun underground. And, and best and, thing and be safe so you don't get bothered during your vacation well what we say about cave rescue is it's by cavers for everybody and we always much rather people call than suffer thank you very much for joining me doug a pleasure marcus <laughs> come caving sometime uh
maybe. <laughs> this is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.